Welcome to Horror Makes Us Happy, the podcast where we ask the question, what is it about horror that makes us happy? Your hosts are Steve Becker and myself, Chris Whitman, and you can find out more about us at our website, horrormakesushappy.com. Before we get started, a little information for you and the listeners. This is the trigger warning. We're going to be talking about messed up stuff, and I'm going to call it something else in a second after this trigger warning. Well, we're going to be talking about uh, horror movies, literature, culture, anything that uh, could involve murder, rape, suicide, child abuse, and F-bombs. So if that's not your thing, go GTFO. see something boring. But if that is your thing, listen to us talk about all kinds of fucked up shit like child abuse, murder, rape, and uh, fucked up movies. Whatever. <laughs> is that why horror makes us happy? It, that's Some one people. of the reasons. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've gotten a lot of reasons throughout uh, all of the guests that we've spoken to. And um, yeah, that is that is one of the reasons. Some people just you're, generally are entertained by dark and macabre things. You were number 37, by the way, in case you were wondering. 37? Now serving number 37. So it was, uh, to me, it's like a roller coaster ride. You know what I mean? It's like, I know it offends some people and stuff like that, but you know, I want to be entertained and moved. And, um, I got a, a father-in-law that's always trying to convince me. Like yesterday he was telling me, uh, he, we're talking about Cowboys from hell script, my movie coming up. He was saying, um, have you ever seen where the red fern grows, Billy? And I go, Oh yeah, that's a great movie. He goes, well, what about Shane or OGL? Or he goes, you need to make something like that. You don't need all those cuss words and stuff in there. It's just, it's just mm-hmm. making you, I go, I go, they would laugh me out of the business. If I don't include any cuss words. Yeah. So it's, out. it's pretty, um, you could tell the difference in the generation gap for sure. You can. Yeah. It's a little overused in some things, mm-hmm. in some films, but, um, you got to pepper in a little bit of fucks. You got to push the envelope now too. Is even you oh, know the too, lamest yeah. of network TV shows are pushing the envelope. If you don't push the envelope, nobody's going to remember what you're doing. That's right. Counterpoint that makes me wonder what today's old yeller would be. Ooh, hmm, that's um, a good question. Let's see. It would be a Fallout Vault style post-apocalyptic thing, and old yeller would be the dog, but the dog would talk, and then they would run into uh, alien zombie vampires. The dog would still have to die at the end, though. Well, of course, yeah, yeah. And it would, that's, what, and that's what makes it old yeller. And the dog would be CGI. Well, yeah, the dog CGI. would be CGI the whole time. Actually, you know what? They could get Airbud to do it. Yep. <laughs> oh, it'd have to be a cyborg dog, too. <laughs> yeah, of course it would. And it sacrifices itself in the end by jumping on the lead vampire with a bandolier of grenades, of light grenades. Or, or... Because you gotta, you know, subvert expectations. Since mm. the dog is the cy- cybernetic one, the dog is the one that lives and the human dies. Ooh, oh, yeah, like oh, it. all right, Mister Shyamalan. I see what you did there. I see that. It's- <laughs> yes. <laughs> all right. Um, yeah, that so, was a that was a fun tangent. So um, yes. haven't even introduced our guest yet. But uh, before yeah. doing that. Uh, next up, we will be uh, talking to Zoe Smith, a.k.a. Zoba with a shotgun. I think we're actually going to be finishing up her interview because we had to split it up because of some technical difficulties, but that's what's coming up next. But today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Mr. Billy Pawn, director, writer, and producer of such works as Circus of the Dead and Dollboy. Good afternoon, hey, Billy. Bill. How you doing? What's up, guys? How's it going? Happy uh, Sunday to you. Yeah, mm. you as well. Um, before we get started, is there anything you're currently working on that you want to pitch? Yeah, we're we're working on uh, Cowboys from Hell will be my next feature. Um nice. and we got some we got Joe Don Baker coming out for it. Uh remember from uh Walking Tall? Chris. 
We also got uh, y'all remember Walking Tall? Y'all too young for that? The the Dewey Cox name sounds familiar. No, that's Walk Hard. Oh yeah. This is Walking Tall. Yeah, he's a famous guy. He's been in retirement forever, but a legend, screen legend. I got a lot of old guys coming out, but I also got um Bob Wall coming out from Enter the Dragon. He's was one of uh, Bruce Lee's fa- uh, friends and everything. So uh, I got some old people so coming out mm-hmm. and some some of my heroes that I wanted to work with. Nice. nice. Always good when you can do that. But I'm gonna I'm gonna put it on the map as far as this Western stuff and horror, um, because I don't mm-hmm. I don't like to do things the regular way as you could tell by Circus of the Dead. Uh, I yeah. wanted to do the uh, opposite of what you'd expect from a cheesy clown movie is what I was trying to do. Uh huh. I still have to check that out and need to finish this with Bill Overs Jr. because I have not done that because life sucks. Yeah, Bill's he's he's the greatest guy in the world and he killed it as popcorn too. I mean, I it's did. my own movie, but I'm not a uh, braggart or nothing, but Bill Oberus Jr. is the the baddest mofo that's ever walked on this planet. Yep. And I'm slightly still waking up, so apologize, but isn't there something similar with Pantera? Yeah. Oh, yeah, just the name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. See what I try to do on the names of things uh like Circus of the Dead was just I met um um romero george romero at texas frightmare mm-hmm. weekend before he passed and that's what it was you know and then i just wanted an homage to him in the name and i also like doing okay. something that kind of confuses you so if you mm-hmm. if somebody sees it they go oh this is going to be about zombie clowns or something a zombie <laughs> circus movie i just wanted to confuse people so that way i like to get people thinking mm-hmm. and cowboys from hell is just an homage to the texas thing but um i just thought okay. it was a cool name uh I'm really into like, uh, this is going to be nerdy and I apologize, but like typography and stuff like that for like Photoshop and all this kind of stuff. And, um, mm-hmm. I've seen a movie called uh, posse from hell a long time ago. I think it had, um, Oh, who's that guy that was in Elm street. He's also an enter. The- oh, John Saxon was in it. Yeah. And, um, the famous, uh, war veteran guy that was not Arnold Palmer, Arnie. Oh, what the heck is it? Famous. One. I, that's what I said. That's what happens when you record on Sunday, isn't it? Your brain doesn't mm-hmm. work good. But y'all did save me from going to church with the wife, so I do appreciate that. You're welcome. Thank you so much. I didn't want to break that streak of 40 years without church. Yes. <laughs> it's, an, it's an important one. I know. Uh, so in this interview, we'll be uh, asking three sets of questions covering uh-huh. your childhood, teenage years, and adult years. Uh, we come at it from different directions because sometimes it triggers different memories that you've yeah. forgotten. Um, but that said, it's not meant to be a therapy session. So if there's something you don't want to answer, just say pass and we'll move on. Yeah, I'll, I'll answer um, and cry. I'm okay. <laughs> Smiles and cries, man. Smiles and cries. The wife's not there to hold your hand. No. Uh, <laughs> she hates us. She hates the, she'll like, come my back movie from and everything. Like, what the hell happened to you? I don't know why she's even with me. She, it's like my movie. She likes scary stuff, but more psychological stuff. My stuff is too, uh, I guess, aggressive and mean for her. She doesn't like it at all. <laughs> Maybe we need to get her on the show. My mom too. My mom won't watch this stuff either, so that's sad. Yeah, yeah. As long as I've you're making issues. money and happy with it. Shit, I'm already five minutes in, about to cry. Oh. <laughs> so starting with childhood, uh, what are some of your earliest memories of scary things? Um, is definitely my dad, you know, he'd take me to the drive-in movie theater and stuff like that. And, um, but you're going to say your dad was scary. <laughs> no, he's scary too. But, uh, once, you know, once the, uh, video, uh, VHS revolution started, you know, we'd rent, you know, all kinds of movies and stuff, but he'd make us watch like chainsaw two or something. He'd sneak out for about 10 or 15 minutes. And I knew what he was going to do. Cause I'd have friends and stuff over, you know, he'd put on a bloody apron and a, all he had was a stupid rubber vampire mask and he'd crank up a chainsaw and come in the house and stuff like that. But, uh, <laughs> nice. Yeah. But that's why I, it's, no surprise i got into haunted houses at such an early age and all 
things I will do if I ever have kids. Yep. Mm. Yep. Traumatize them. Yeah. But for him, it was the gorier, the better, you know, like evil dead, um, uh, mm-hmm. eaten alive, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, um, we just loved it. I couldn't get enough of it as a kid. And then once I become a teenager and I can go rent movies myself, you know, mm-hmm. it's all she wrote. I would had to rent everything that come out horror wise. Um, I find myself going back cause you know, I saw chainsaw two before part one, but huh. once I went back and watched it, yeah, I, I fell in love with part one and that's probably one of my favorite blueprint movies. You know, yeah, I got about be four a, or five blueprint movies that kind of teach me my style has taught me mm-hmm. my style, what to do. Okay. So starting off with two instead of one, would you say your style is incorporated more with like a not 100% serious? There's always that little tongue in cheek kind of, kind of fun humor. Mm-hmm. It's definitely two, dark and wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Still <laughs> dark, laughing, still wrong. But I, should, but I shouldn't be laughing at this, but I'm laughing at it. So yeah, it's like, you know, somebody yeah. animating a corpse on top of a car and, and, you know, uh, attacking another car with a chainsaw, but they're shaking the, the corpse like it's a puppet. And, and yeah. it's, that's <laughs> yeah. funny. That is it humor is. right there. Yeah, oh, that was and that guy's head coming off. That was a that was a very good movie to start out as a kid with. Yeah, it was. How, how old were you when you saw it? Um, it it must have been right when it came out. I saw that one, but I saw Shining too when it came out too, uh, and that one really messed me up too. But um, that's my style. Yep. I think people ask me. I think it's seventies horror. If I had to mm-hmm. pick one, I think it's seventies. I take a wild guess and say seventies Texas father bringing a chainsaw into the house. He probably didn't take the chain off, did he? No, he didn't. <laughs> it's too much realism, trouble. man. That's dedication to the craft. But that's you know he's he's a uh, he was uh, half Chinese and is always he looked Chinese and a smaller guy. Now I'm like giant, but um he was a. Uh, always picked on and stuff, you know, because he looked different and all that kind of stuff. But see, he didn't like me watching John Wayne and all this. He wanted me to watch Bruce Lee stuff. So when I was young, I wasn't allowed to do, um, you know, Taekwondo or nothing like that. I had to do Kung Fu stuff. And, uh, uh-huh. so that's, that's how he pushed me is to, to grow up with like, you know, Bruce Lee is an idol and stuff like that. Hmm. So I watched my equal amount of those movies too, with the horror stuff. Which is a, also has a similar sense of humor sometimes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Oh, all right. So Chainsaw 2, you mentioned your father liked Evil Dead and Eating Alive. Did you also see those when you were a kid? Yes, totally. It, like I said, anything like that, that was because back then, you know, you didn't have Internet. You had Fangoria yeah. um, and you'd see these articles. You'd have to go find those movies at the VHS store. But it wasn't like now you just jump on a computer and type in something and look for it. You know, yep. you had to go to two or three different mom and pa video stores. This was before the Blockbuster days, you know. Yep. So uh, you're just you lucky to enough to find it. that. And then what about the one you never heard of and you'd stumble on? You say, oh, my God, this movie's like great. So let's see. Humor. Um, what else did you love about it? I mean, this is this is going to sound corny, but um, when I was a kid, it made me feel cooler. It, it was like I had friends and all that kind of stuff, but maybe wasn't the most popular person in the world. And I know Bill Oberst was saying that about himself, too. Um so it kind of made me feel important that I knew all these movies and could talk about it. And that's where I started meeting friends in school that had similar interests and stuff. So I guess what I love about it is it just it introduced me to a lot of like lifelong friends that I still have today because of our love for horror. So mm-hmm. it's just like they're part of your club, part of your clan kind of thing. And um, I don't know. It's just they've always been good. And even up to today, you know, I go to a ton of horror conventions as a guest and all. And um Horror people are like the best people in the world, you know, and somebody outside of this business would say, well, I don't get it. They like weird stuff. It's like, yeah, but they're a lot nicer than these phony people that pretend to be one thing and do something else in the world. So I'll nice. take a horror, a horror fan, a horror person over anybody else any day of the week. Just good people. 
So that's what I yeah, like that, about it. It's it's just very what do you call it? They love they love one another. They love the craft. They love the thing, and there's not as much bickering, I guess, as far as like the superhero movies and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I want to say it's familial, but there's got to be a better word for it. There's got to be a better community. word. Sexual. Yeah. Well, some of <laughs> sometimes that is included. Yeah, <laughs> but it gets it get, does get like a we like I always get a get a lot of art the clown stuff people send to me and stuff. So I mm-hmm. I kid around about it. It's tongue in cheek, you know. I really respect the movie a lot and and you know happy for what they did and all this and how popular they got. Um, so yeah, I like kid I like to kid around about that. But I get a lot of people that send me art the clown pictures and stuff and always mess with me and stuff. But uh, you know, I, I take it you know tongue in cheek and try to have fun with it. Yeah, you touched on a couple of different things that have come up in different calls too. I mean, as far as the general populace thinking that the horror community is weird, I mean, that was part of the reason that Chris and I wanted to do this with brainstorming ideas and realized, you know, like I said, I come from a, a psych background and Chris mm-hmm. is the horror fan and fan, fan, um, fan. Yeah. Uh, I forgot what the hell I was going to say. Well, I'll tell you this. You go back to your psychological thing is, and and I'll elaborate on what I was saying. And, and, and Chris will probably say this hits a lot close to home, but I mean, all these kids in the world now are having identity issues or bullying issues or whatever. The thing with horror is what I found at a very, very young age is that we all dug it. And it just, like I said, it, it kind of opened up that friendship thing is, Hey, you're almost kind of like family. So in that way, it kind of helped me through a lot of tough times as a kid and stuff like that until you actually started having sex with girls or something, you know, you're very frustrated and all this kind of stuff. And, and it just kind of basically taught you how to grow up and stuff like that. So, I mean, it, it did a lot for me in life. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. It does uh, kind of, I don't want to say desensitize. You're right with this Sunday shit, man. I'm I'm just uh, at a lack of words today. Well, you know, you get your, your parents and stuff for trying to raise you as a good person to go to yeah. church and all this kind of stuff. This was mine, and this was something I could relate to and do it. And it, you know, if I didn't quite relate to my parents or something, the one thing I could relate to are these, you know, these people. When you watch the gate or the kids and that or something, or even like the Lost Boys or something, you can just relate to a lot of that kind of stuff. You know, being that age yeah. and doing this kind of stuff and those adventures. I mean, that's the kind of adventures you wanted to have at night and stuff like that was hunting and killing vampires or monsters or something. It's just, it's just innately in us as, you know, kids were curious about monsters. I got a three-year-old grandbaby, almost four, Hmm. and she could name every killer, Every killer, Michael Myers, Freddy Krueger, all this stuff. Oh, okay, I thought you were going to say like real serial, real serial. No, killers. not like, oh, we well, haven't gone uh... there yet. We'll wait a little bit. Uh, but see, <laughs> yeah. I had a grandson. That's too. when she's six. Yeah. Well, though, when they sick, when they're six, they get scared and they start backing off of this stuff. But see, right mm-hmm. now she's all into it and she digs it. And I got like a pop of corn, the clown doll that she plays with, you know, from the movie and stuff. And she'll sing mm-hmm. to it like a my buddy doll and all this kind of stuff. It's hilarious. It's like he's a serial rapist clown, baby. <laughs> <laughs> he's my friend, Papa. Yes. Uh, I don't know that. <laughs> Papa Corn's my friend. She doesn't understand yet. Yeah. No. Uh, going back to what I said a minute ago, what it was is. You know, the general populace does sometimes think that, you know, the uh, the horror community is a bit weird, but I, I've always been a believer that people make sense. You just got to figure out why it is that they make sense. And mm. a lot of people just either don't have the time or interest to find out about that. But also, you know, it's sort of, sort of a psychological thing, too, that a, a lot of people, they come up with the easy answers that 
that kind of sweep it under the rug and don't really necessarily always talk about what really is important to them. Um, like for example, you've already mentioned that your father had this sense of humor and like to, you know, goof around and scare people and put on a mask and come in with a chainsaw and be crazy like that. And if you had this kind of relationship with him and he liked horror too, then, you know, obviously there, there can be a familial relationship there. Um, that's come up in, in some of the other calls. There's other reasons to enjoy horror as well. And even one that you already mentioned as far as like the identity thing of, you know, there's a early childhood development thing where at a certain point in your life, you want to be like your parents. You want to be with them. You want to identify closely with them. And then later in life, you want to start to diverge from that and become your own person. And from that point on, it becomes this, you know, tension of, I want to be close to you, but I also want to be my own person. Mm -hmm. And so in your case, you're talking about how horror can become its own identity and you find some other people that are similar to yourself like that. And that can be a great attraction as well. Um, although in, in this case, it's kind of interesting because you brought it up how it's different from your parents, but in the same way, in the same sentence, it, it's something that you did share with your father in, in some degree. Cause he liked the, at least the humor part of it. Well, they were, they were, um, see, this is getting all psychological, but, uh, they were divorced when I was like one. So I had a stepdad. Oh. So like those, they were the one straight lace. You shouldn't watch this, all this kind of stuff. But my dad was out of the box. You know what I mean? It's, it's, my dad was real weird and he was, he was, um, in some ways it was bad. Like he would say, um, he wouldn't allow us to be scared of anything. If I showed any fear for anything in life, he would make us overcome it. Being scared of a dog or anything. I mean, it's, he was overly macho to a point of, you know, causing all these issues in me. And it's like, until I grew up later, I had to get out of that whole tough guy mentality, you know, because it's like, I just saw, it's like I changed in that way. And also, um, you know, he could say, hey, we could do this in a movie, we could do this in a movie, but he never got a camera, never did that. And I know that stuff was harder, but, you know, he worked the oil field job and busted his ass all the time just to make money. So he, he gave up a lot of, sacrificed a lot of things. Um, but he always told me is don't, you know, don't use your back when you work, use your brain, you know, so that way you last longer than I have. So yeah, uh, don't do what I've done. Right, yeah. right. So uh, it, that's what I say is I, I do it. And when, you know, him watching my first movie and all is, is I think he liked it and all, but I don't think he saw it as a good story thing. Cause I mean, I think, like I said, he's just a fan of evil den stuff. He just wanted to see crazy stuff. So I guess he's still that child at heart. He never changed. Whereas I, I started off with that stuff, but then I started getting into, I just want to make a good movie, a great movie that happens to be a horror movie. You know, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's what I want to do is no matter the genre, I, I just want it to be great. Quality first. Yeah. Style after. Yeah. Well, I say, I say that's almost what I say all the time is unlike uh, Chinese buffets, you know, it's quality first, not quantity. So <laughs> that's how I tell people. So. Yeah. Finding uh finding a good quality Chinese buffet is difficult. <laughs> Very much so. You yeah. can't just shit out 500 garbage independent films no, that, no, that, no. that were filmed in a matter of like eight hours and, and be good. No, you it's guys funny, got, we were just yeah. chatting about this a couple days or yesterday. We we're me, Chris and two of our friends talking about, apparently uh, Disney wants to crank out an aliens movie every one to two years. We we're like, what? No, I'm sure this will be fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyway, well, that's, that's all money, but yeah. no, I, you know, I got other friends that, you know, they're putting out, I don't know, three every two years or something and, and good for them and all, but there's a lot of them that, you know, I just, uh, you know, I want something that moves me and all, you know, I don't want, 
I just, I don't want something I'm not proud of. And I don't want something, any actor that comes to work with me or something on the movie or a crew person or anything. I want everybody to be proud of mm-hmm. it. I just, I can't stand doing something that I would be embarrassed of. And I'm a little embarrassed of circus. I think it could be better and hopefully I'll improve on this next movie, but um, mm-hmm. I'll still put it up against any other clown movie ever made. Going back and looking at this short list that I've written of the, uh, the movie you saw when you were a kid. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know there weren't your movies to be proud of, but, um, you know, you, you refer to holding them as some of your gold standard. So what, it, what, what were the gold standards growing up? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I would say, uh, in no particular order, of course, the original chainsaw from 74, the Halloween 78, uh, mm-hmm. the exorcist, um, the shining, um, you can, now you can get off the beaten path that aren't as acclaimed as that. I, I kind of like that the some of the Italian horror, like Torso, from an artsy standpoint. You know, they kind of left you high and dry on the effects and stuff, but that was kind of the time. Um, did you see that when you were a kid? I did see all this when I was a kid. I'd watch anything I get my hands on, especially. At well, I was just surprised that you got your hands on Torso because, like you say, Italian Italian film. So. Well, you guys yeah. were. Uh, probably too young, but like, um, drive-ins are all the rage when I was a kid, you know, five or six. And mm. my dad would go and you'd go see uh, a Mickey mouse movie. And on the screen next to it, he'd be playing. Uh, I think I'm actually more like, surprised that torso <laughs> you saw it at a drive-in. I was thinking yeah, you got that right? like, a, like a, a bodega or video. something. Yeah. Home video. Yeah. Same here. I'm, I'm actually surprised. Especially in Texas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, well, I mean, even like international yeah. film on a drive-in, it's like, what? Mm-hmm. I want to say that, and I, I want to say, you know, and it, and it was it a trailer. I don't know, but I saw a lot of good stuff like that. But I didn't see, like, Rosemary's Baby there, too, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And didn't mm-hmm. understand much what was going on, but it just felt a certain way. But, I mean, you yeah. know, I was like every kid when Star Wars come out, and I was mm-hmm. like seven, eight years old. I was like, this is the shit, and mm-hmm. I want to make movies, you know. And uh, I just mm-hmm. figured out later that it should be horror movies. So what made these uh, the gold standard for you? Um, I guess the, to me is, I want to say the lasting power that they're still with me today, just as strong as they were when I saw them as a kid. So something must've resonated. Um, if I look back at it now and you're asking me to describe why I would say, because it's like you said, is I I feel like they treated filmmaking with respect and the eighties was fun, but I felt like that's when they're just kind of going with the flow and cashing in. And of course it's just gotten worse. You know, we're now, you know, CGI effects and all this kind of stuff. So. I just think they really tried to make good movies. I don't think they said, oh, we're making a horror movie. Who cares? I think they're trying to make just good movies. Nowadays, it's a horror movie. Who cares? Just put it Mm -hmm. out. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, as far as the big name uh, studios, I could definitely see that being the case because it's not cheap to make a film uh, using literal film. Digital is a bit cheaper. That's right, right. You know, some of the indie films can get away with being a little on the cheaper side, but even those are a little more expensive again, cause you're using film. I would say that's one of the big, um, I'm going to say this. It, it may have been a negative impact to filmmaking to go digital, but in a lot of other ways, having digital photography for me personally was a huge thing because like, for example, I always thought I looked horrible in pictures. I thought I was very unphotogenic. And so I never wanted to take pictures. And after getting a digital camera, I stumbled upon the fact that, you know, if you take a thousand photos and you delete, you know, 99% of them, you wind up with 1% that's actually halfway decent. And so the better odds wasn't, yeah, well, it's the same odds, but what you do is you increase the number so that your, your odds 
one percent of a hundred is only one. One percent of a yeah, thousand yeah. is ten. So there's there's definitely some good and bad uh, that comes with it. But you know, then you got to sort through nine hundred ninety nine hundred ninety to find the ten, rather than you know. Well, if we had that back then, you know. Because, you know, you couldn't get a camera. My dad said, hey, we should make movies. Or, well, I don't know anything about a camera. You had to be a rocket scientist back then to figure all that out. But um, anybody, everybody's now. In your shoulder. Yeah. But here's what's happening now is, is you know, my, you know, niece or something will say, oh, I'm a filmmaker. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, okay. But you know what TikTok. I mean? And that's what you see. Yeah. So that's, it hurts it a little bit that too, but that's okay. I mean, it's, to me, is the uh, cream always rises to the top. Whoever's going to do the best at something, it's always going to go up it's like circus of the dead is it's more popular now than it was when it was released because it's a slow climb for a movie like it it's got to get out there and get to those eyes and stuff like that i still mm-hmm. meet people like you guys some people that haven't even seen it yet you know and they go mm-hmm. oh this guy made a cheesy clown movie but you know when you watch it, you go hey you know what that that was an actual pretty good movie and and that means a lot to me so you mentioned uh, meeting some people that uh, you became friends with was that in your childhood or later in your teenage years I would say even in my child, I've got friends, you know, back from when I was seven and eight and stuff like that, place with Star Wars figures at the park and stuff with. Uh, one of them is my co-writer, Lee, Lee Ankrum, and um, we've been buddies since we were kids playing Star Wars figures, but um, he's the only person I'll collaborate with on anything because he's the only person that'll take my um, hatefulness and spite. <laughs> and, I thought and you were going to say something else. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I'm I'm bad. He'll say, well, if somebody tries to question me on something, I'll get mad and yell at him and stuff, but um he's he's pretty good he'll tell me the next day i go you know what you're you're right buddy let's try that so uh he's so out of the box um but i have a good gut and my gut always tells me the the right way to go so Mm. that's why i'm so happy with this cowboys from hell script it's like the best thing i ever you know written i'm so proud of it it's it's just it could be an epic book too you know one of those louis lamar books if you read it but with more you know penis and demons in it but and penis demons penis demons yeah demons yeah (laughs) So was Lee uh, also a fan of horror or was he just oh, yeah, that accepting time. you? No, no. Same way with okay. him. And, it, and if you talk to him, he'd even say the same, probably name most of the same movies and stuff like that too. Um, mm-hmm. Well, it's always good to have somebody that empathizes with you and, you know, enjoys the same things you do. It makes it easier, you know, when other people maybe might, might be teasing you or making fun of you. Did anything in, um, in these movies or in real life, you know, trigger any lasting fears or anything like that no i, I mean probably not in your case no uh because uh, you know the dad wouldn't allow you to be fearful of anything and i guess the only thing i didn't tell him is just the fear of failing you know at something or making a bad movie or something uh i always tell everybody really the only thing i've ever felt on in life was um diets um mm. <laughs> and that's about it yeah but uh no uh not really uh did you participate in halloween Oh, yeah, big time until I started the haunted houses, and then that takes that away from you. But, you know, in the 70s, trick-or-treating. Mm-hmm. What well, isn't like trick-or-treating now. I don't care what anybody no. says. I mean, True. even the store-bought costumes, I wasn't going to buy the plastic mask and the vinyl pajamas. I'm not going to do that. Mm-hmm. So I had to make my own costume, and that was derived purely from imagination. You know, mm-hmm. and that's that's helping you be a movie maker, you know, or, you know, special effects person or whatever. Did you have a favorite costume? Man, I'm going to say like a dead cowboy. I've been doing a dead demon zombie cowboy since I was like nine or 10 years old. Maybe that's huh. why I'm doing this um, Cowboys from Hell. You know, that's well, one I, I can't say I've seen very often is a, uh, a zombie cowboy. Where did I see it, you guys? House? Was it House that we saw one Oh, of? yeah. House 2? Uh-huh. 
Yeah. You, you got to think he's in Texas. They've got the materials handy. <laughs> yeah. True. You, you got to do with make do with what you got. Well, that goes back to that, that six flags gunfight. You guys saw that as a kid, mm-hmm. you know, at like five or six, you know, up to like 12. And by the time I was 18, I was trying out for him. So, I mean, mm-hmm. it was something that was, you know, always thought about in the back of my mind. Uh, and you know, another movie that did that too was the Frighteners mm-hmm. had that guy in there that the judge that was like a cool dead cowboy. That was really cool too. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The Frighteners was a uh, Peter Jackson, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it was. He was like pretty cool. Yeah. And it was John, was it John Aston that played Gomez Adams who played him? I remember the name, but I don't think I ever saw that one. The Frighteners, a great movie. Michael J. Fox. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Great movie. And uh, Sinbad. Is it Sinbad in it? Oh, God. Oh, no. <laughs> you Wait. should check that out. It's a lot of fun. It's, 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 been it's a, a Peter Jackson, it, early Peter Jackson movie. He got Not his start as... in horror. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I always That's love how, you know, he, everybody knows him for, you know, his Lord of the Rings movies and. Like in the Hobbit, and, and it's just like there's yeah, a lot I, of people that he was doing biz. puppets, uh, doing drugs and having STDs. <laughs> that if you watch that Bad Taste, you know it's not the greatest movie, but um, if you look at those monsters running in the field, and then you watch Lord of the Rings, it's the same thing. It's like because it it's in your DNA. Yeah, it's it's if I keep doing movies, I guess my stuff will be. I'll have clown penises and everything. I guess. <laughs> nice. Uh, was there ever a time that you were actually terrified of something as a child? Um, tornadoes used to scare me, you know, <laughs> in mm. Texas. Yeah. Um, understandably. Uh, but you know, I'd take, I'd go out and ride my banana seat back and stuff like that. And then I'd watch 60 minutes that weekend on, uh, John Wayne Gacy when he was arrested or something mm-hmm. or all these stories coming out. And, but you know what, when I was a kid, I was fearless, you know, and they used to let you ride around, I'd ride around two or three miles away from home, you know, as a kid. Going down streets and you got old men in the yard. Hey, you want to come in here and look at this? I mean, you never knew. It's like, it ain't like today. You know, you wouldn't let your kid out of your sight these days. Um, but back in the seventies, it was an adventure. And I guess on par mm-hmm. with a modern day, uh, Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of great adventures on the back. That's why that, uh, Stranger Things, I think resonates with a lot of people. Yeah, it does. It really does, uh, have that nostalgic mm-hmm. reminder of your childhood. It just, you know riding around the neighborhood with friends on bikes. But then what happens to it is they start out and those kids look perfect. And now they look like they're 40 or 50 years old and like (laughs) (laughs) three year difference. What happened? They got older. They got older. They they ran for Um, president. Did you have any scary dreams when you were a kid? Yeah. Yeah. I have a lot of nightmares. Um, even now I try to write a lot down and when I, and when I have problems on, uh, writing and stuff, movies, I really try to focus on it while I'm falling asleep. Mm. So, uh, that usually gives me the answers of which way I want to go. A lot of this stuff come, all my movies eventually I feel like come out of my dreams. Did you have any, excuse me, any reoccurring dreams when you were a kid? Yeah, I don't know. Cause it really just changes. Cause I think it's just a product of what you're picking up on and stuff. Um, mm. The most reoccurring ones to me now that hurt me is, you know, loved ones that are past and gone, uh, missing mm-hmm. them and talking to them and stuff, or they're in some kind of trouble. And then you wake up and realize they're already dead or something, you know, but um, yeah. that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I can't think of anything offhand reoccurring. Okay. Uh, I know see. this so, is when I was younger, waking up or having a dream about being naked or in your underwear would freak you the fuck out. But now when I have those, I could care Less, so I, it kind of yeah. tells me I'm in a better place in life. Like I just don't give a shit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's one way looking at it. It's a good way looking at it. Yeah, 
I guess we could say for you, horror already started to make you happy in your childhood. Yes. Um, An escape. It is, was the great escape. Okay. It was take you on an adventure. There's our answer, Steve. Interview done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the reason I bring that up is because, you know, some for some of our guests, it has started in childhood and some of them it has not. So, Gotcha. Uh, well, you know, I mean, look, hmm? look at this stuff, you guys. It's like everything's at the fingertips of these children now. It's like my my three year old grandbaby, you know, can work a phone better than my eighty one year old father in law. Um, mm-hmm. They they know this technology. It's like anything they want. It's just quick and at their fingertips. If we wanted to think about something, it was purely in our imagination. And what all these movies and stuff that I saw, all they were were like fuel for my imagination. Um, they weren't always. I wasn't always able to watch them or always able to go to the drive-in, you know, before VHS or whatever, or the movie theater. But um, they're always in my imagination because they're in my subconscious. You know, it was just, mm-hmm. it was fuel, you know, for my imagination. Yeah. And I think that's still the case for a lot of kids today. I mean, imagination typically is on top of whatever it is that you're seeing or reading or, or hearing mm-hmm, about. Mm-hmm, um, yeah. It doesn't stop just because you saw something or heard something. Nope. <laughs> um. So moving into teenage years, so what were some of the uh, scary stories or books or movies that influenced you in your teenage years? Yeah. I think books and stuff. I've always been, uh, I haven't read, my, I don't like reading and I don't know why. And a lot of people, you know, send me scripts and stuff. Hey, check out my script. And I was like, oh, okay. But it's like pulling teeth because I think I'm ADD or something. But, um, <laughs> you know, you had to read all the stuff you were when you're in school and stuff like that. But um, mm-hmm. I started trying to read the Stephen King books and started liking them and stuff like that. And, and knew at an early age that they weren't doing them justice in the movies. <laughs> I was I was aware enough to know that it was like, hey, this is a big difference. So mm-hmm. uh, I said, if I ever make these films, I'm going to make sure to get it right. But in my teen years, I mean, I guess like Elm Street, you know, started coming in and Hellraiser and all this kind of stuff. And the, I guess the production value started going up. It started being a little bit flashier and cleaner oh, and brighter. Yeah, you know what I mean? It was it was. um they do anything and everything in those eighties movies. So they would just completely push, push the envelope of the crazy stuff. You see like toxic Avenger. That was one of those VHS that I must've rented, you know, 20 different times throughout, you know, a three or four year period. Cause I had, if I had friends or something coming over or cousins, I said, you guys got to check out this toxic Avenger thing and stuff like that. So, you know, just, you know, the, the, the craziness, the absurdity of it and stuff like that. So, but I'm trying to think of scaring. I just can't think anything that really scares me. I mean, being rejected by girls is the worst thing I worried about it at, uh, you know, being a teenager. But it's like you said, if you play the odds, some guy told me once before is like, uh, well, if you ask a hundred girls out, one of them says, yes, then there you go. He goes, it's, it's like a, it's a numbers game, Billy. You got to just, you got to ask more and more out. So that kind of taught me to do that. But I was a late, uh, person to get married and all that kind of stuff. Um, just because I was just so afraid of being with somebody and being unhappy, you know, and mm. them not digging what I do and stuff like that. So I waited till I was like 48 to get married. Oh, uh, you know, measure twice, cut once. Yes. Yeah. I'm we Chris and I are both in the same boats. We're, uh, we're plus 40 and have never been married <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for probably similar reasons. And I would have uh, told you the same thing. And this, this, this woman come out of nowhere and man, it's, they, it's like, I know it's cheesy to go, Oh, it's when you meet the right one, you'll know. It's like, it come to that point where I knew she was getting serious and I had to make that decision. But then I thought I just weighed the option. What, you know, would, do you want to go
go on what you're doing or give this a chance. And I just didn't want to ever lose or nothing. So I gave it a chance and I'm glad I did. I got hit with cancer really bad within six months of getting married and damn near died over the next year and a half. So uh, if she wasn't in my life, I'd have been in big time trouble. Mm. In my case, my dad's been married three different times and it's never really been uh, so great for me. So (laughs) I kind of shy away from that. I, I, like Chris said, measure twice, cut once. Mm-hmm. So uh, Stephen King, Elm Street, Hellraiser, um, anything else jump out to you in those years? And or is like influence. If not, that's fine. You know, it's you're you also wouldn't be the only person that drifted away from it in your teenage years and came back to it later. No, I I stayed with it. It's just pulling out exact ones and maybe it's the Sunday morning stuff, but I'm telling you guys, is I probably rented every horror movie that were on these mom Paul shelves. There's like three mom Paul. I was, I grew up in Mesquite, Texas and there's like an Abadaba video <laughs> or something or, or Bonnie and Gary's video. It's like, I'd go to these and just every horror thing. Like, oh, I've seen that one. No, oh, I've seen this one. Oh, I've seen that one. And I, I had to like read a, it. Like a weekly thing on the weekends. You would just always go to the totally. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like, all right, which one haven't I done? No, no. And Lee would yeah. come over or something. And, you know, I had a VCR in my room or something like that. And, Mm-hmm. But then I started getting older and then started, uh, by the time I was late teen, you could go into the back room and my mom wouldn't know. And then I'd just spend the weekend jacking <laughs> off a weekend of porn. <laughs> so that changed I wish they would have made some horror porn and then I would have been in business, but, um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. Do, 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 um, and teenagers, did you expand that social circle in terms of, Uh, did you have other friends that were into horror? Was it still just you and Lee? No, definitely. We did as, um, cause I met Lee doing, uh, later in life, we drifted apart a little bit and then he come back around as I was doing uh, haunted houses for the local police explorers and he was a police explorer, but doing the haunted houses back then is since I didn't have cameras was the, my closest way of getting to horror and horror movies. Um, Cause you're living them out inside the haunted houses and stuff like that. And you got to scare people and the power you get when you scare people is just so much fun. It'll oh yeah. Bring a big smile to your face. Um, <laughs> so that, that was the only way if, if I was in this day in life, I'd probably just be using my iPhone or buy a cheap camera just to try to make anything I could when I was young. But you know, you didn't have that kind of stuff back then. I mean, you know what I mean? But back then we we're spending $2 on lunch. You know, it wasn't like now you spend $20 just to go to lunch these days, but uh, yeah. You know, things were a little bit different back then. So the haunted houses were the the key with me. I I just, I love the haunted houses and want, and, you know, created all my favorite killers in the thing and started working on costumes and special effects. And I think that was the best thing haunted houses did was teach me and Lee how to do really good set design and stuff like that. And and, and attention to detail. Yeah. I was going to ask if you did like the special effects makeup and, or, or the sets and stuff like, so you did everything. Did you? You and Lee made these haunted houses like from scratch. Yeah, from scratch, and and we didn't we don't like going to spirit and all that. We've never liked that kind of stuff. Um, maybe you know for a year or two, but then we realized that was all cheap and mass quantity, you know, consumer stuff, and we wanted something out of the box. So we basically would you know we'd we'd spend money and buy uh, mannequins from garage sales or then from stores closing and try to get our hands on other things. And you know there was no internet to look up, you know, and say hey where do I get what is this stuff called ultra cow to mold clay? You know, we didn't know that. So we went to this guy and um, at the time he was in Forney, Texas up the road from us and he was doing the haunted verdant manor. His name was Lance Pope. And when we went to that, 
that haunted uh, Verdon Manor was the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. And he kind of took us under our wing because we were interested in learning how to do masks and stuff like that and started teaching us the ropes at a very, very young age. And in turn, we'd volunteer to carry stuff and help them with this haunt and stuff like that. So that kind of, you know, cut our chops. But if you didn't have that, you only had a book you could check out from the library and it would say, call this number you know, in the back for products and the number doesn't work anymore. You know what I mean? So (laughs) there's no websites and stuff. So it was really hard getting this stuff. But, uh, once, you know, you work with somebody like that. Yeah. Yeah. See people take it for granted now. Uh, probably 14, 15. Okay. So yeah, teenage years. Mm -hmm. Uh, Um, so, but you weren't really participating in Halloween at that point. You were doing the haunted houses. Mm -hmm. Um, any favorite costumes at that point? Um, I played Leatherface forever in a day. I still like yeah. that. And I'm a pretty big guy, but then I see like my brother, I got a brother that he's like, uh, I think he's like six, nine and 410 pounds or something. He's a huge hulking monster, but it's like, that's what I yeah. thought is like, once I realized, Billy, you don't need to be Freddy Krueger. You're too fat or. I always made a good Leatherface, but see, that's when I realized I was a, I would be a good director because I could make those decisions. Somebody mm. else would be better than me doing that. It's not about me being the star, getting to do what I want to do. It's me making a great product. And that's the best thing about me is you got to have a good filter, you know, to say no sometimes, you know. How about least favorite costume? Least favorite costume? The least favorite one is it was a post is when they first started selling those cheap hockey masks. I painted one chrome and had this chrome hockey mask, a green clown wig, which I still have to this day. Um, and like, um, a road warrior costume or something. It was like a post-apocalyptic killer dude. Yeah. And I had like, well, I had a hockey mask and I had like knee pads or something. It's kind of gay. If I think about it, elbow pads, I don't know what I was trying to do is like play street hockey or what, but, um, I always hated that one. But you know what I noticed too, in a haunted house is you can jump out, just dress normal and scare people. You don't even have to have a costume these days. Yeah, that's true. People people are so damn jumpy. Yeah. Nobody even cares anymore. (laughs) Was there ever a time you were... Terrified in real life or something as a teen? Uh, getting caught over a girl's house or something when you ain't supposed to be there or something. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you especially in Texas. With the, yeah, yeah, with the shotgun and all this kind of stuff. I got scared <laughs> about that stuff. Um, you know, I did that, but I, I wasn't ever a bad kid as far as that. I mean, you know, I was worried about, you know, scoring with the chicks, and that was about the most angst i ever had was that stuff i never really got into drugs or um, alcohol or nothing you know so just never acquired a taste for booze or nothing so i kind of got lucky that way that's how the cancer come around i never smoked or drink or do anything so i must have got mm. it from eating fucking peanut butter or some shit i don't know um what peanut butter gives you cancer well no. what does it nowadays it, you it tell me something, uh, yeah uh any recurring dreams in your teens Mm, nah, just like sexual wet dreams. You wake up all messy. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm glad that was the one not, good thing. Not counting those. Everybody has those. I could have those. I could be, uh, you know, uh, raped by a thousand Hawaiian tropic girls in my dreams now and nothing will happen. So <laughs> it's like, it's like, I'll be like, bitch, you're going to have to kick it or punch it or bite it or something. <laughs> it just takes more the older you get. So you got a rubber band. <laughs> I got this yeah. trick. <laughs> no, I'll tell you the trick is is you put uh, the larger fungians on there and then try to get aroused and break the fungians. I call it the Hulk, <laughs> Hulk dick is what I call it. Y'all can 
quote me on that. The hat thing. <laughs> There's the soundbite for this interview, Steve. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> ring I remember dick. telling the wife that. I said, hey, watch this. And uh, I don't know. She was. Cr- she started laughing so hard, she was like crying. She goes, I don't know why I married you. And you do this weird stuff like that. But the, wor- the worst part was after I broke them, I still ate them. <laughs> I'm not going to waste them. What the hell? Oh, God. <laughs> All right. Paul <laughs> Nick. Yeah. We're getting some uh, some sort of a distortion from your mic there. I think you might have. Oh, yeah, it's that's, getting worse. Is it, is it mine? Yeah. It is yours. Yeah, I wasn't sure if it was the whole line oh. at first or if it was just one of us, but it does seem to be your mic. He did say it was an old mic that uh, was actually in the process of falling apart. All right, now I'm going to hit recording again, and we should be good to go. All right. Rowers, we're talking dick. about. <laughs> we're talking about Hawk Dick. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the Hawk Dick with the onion rings. <laughs> Funyuns. 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 Sorry. <laughs> I imagine it would be more what? difficult with full on onion rings. They're like onions, but they're fun. <laughs> <laughs> Most of the time, yeah. <laughs> Until I get yeah. a hold of them, <laughs> that's like the worst uh, cock ring ever. Well, depends on how much you like onions, I guess. Well, I mean, you know, they wouldn't be very effective. They would just they would crumble at first thrust. <laughs> <laughs> Effectively, that's the worst cock ring ever. Yeah, they do break easy, but they they make you feel good about yourself, though. True. True. <laughs> <laughs> like I guess that depends on the size of the onion rings. <laughs> <laughs> They come in uh, all sizes. Yeah. Good and piss. Um, so now that you've become an adult, what are some of the uh, scary stories or books or movies that have impacted you as an adult? Um, well, I mean, just of recently, a lot of people dog on it, but Midsummer, I liked it a lot. Um, yeah, because now good. it's different. It's not what something I could do, but I mean, I appreciate it. And and recently I just watched them on oh, yeah. uh, Amazon Prime. No spoilers. I'm on episode three. That movie just, it's so brazen. It's wonderful. So yeah. that's what inspires me, but I don't know that it scares me. It almost makes me excited to say that's, I just, you know, to respect somebody that does such a good job on something, I really, I really dig that. It just gets me, it gets mm-hmm. me happy in a non sexual way. Well, I mean, focusing on what it is that uh, you feel they did well uh, still tells us something about you. Um, what do you think they did well? Well, I think they did well as they just thought outside the box. It's not following some cookie cutter. Like I always say, follow the blueprint to um, Halloween 78 if you want a good slasher movie. But then these people don't feel like they follow the blueprint to anything. So it's kind of cool. So it's kind of, it makes me think that there's a path outside there that I can find that I just haven't found yet, you know, mm-hmm. so that I can leave my masters that taught me, you know, what to do. Also, it gives you hope for the industry that someone is doing something besides a reboot rehash. There you go. And you know why they do the reboot stuff is it's just it's it's the name has cash value and that's it. Yeah, no, no, it's we've we've been over this. It's uh, it is security. It's basically why invest money in something that's a 50 50 chance when you Mm -hmm. can invest money in something that's at least a guaranteed 20 percent chance because you have that core nostalgia fan base. And, and that's what people say is like, they go, would you, would you redo check Texas Chainsaw Massacre? I go, well, I wouldn't want to. I think they should just let it all be. But I if I had to, I would like to, because they're really screwing it up, but they got one coming out now. We'll see, but it's, it's There's filmed in Bulgaria or something. 
It was, uh, huh? Yeah, there's a new one coming out in Leatherface. It's the it's. They said it's like Old Man Logan, but it's Old Man Leatherface or something. I don't know. Everybody's it, been talking about it, but is it set in Bulgaria? No. Okay. They just yeah no. It's supposed to be Texas, but when you film in Bulgaria, it don't feel like Texas. That's so not basically Texas. Texas Chainsaw Massacre has become like wrong turn at this point, where it just kept Very getting much. more and more not Virginia and definitely filmed in Canada. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sad. Okay. I I look forward to this one. Yeah, this me too. Yay. <laughs> so but with that said, we'll just go do I'll just go do my own original stuff. Then. Yeah. That's yeah, what like, I'm saying, yeah. So yeah, I guess uh, the answer to the question then would be like anything influence you in your adult life would be things that are um original? Yeah, I think original. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's just like not a horror movie, but like No Country for Old Men. I mean, that's a movie that sticks with me for whatever mm-hmm. reason. Certain mm-hmm. movies just stick with me, and I can't let them go. But it's 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 part of my DNA. You know, people say Tarantino rips this off, and he steals from this. Like, no, he's not. He's just influenced by a lot of people, like yeah. we all are. And we don't even something. And yeah, never off. because it's your DNA. When you watch that movie, you take part of that movie. It's like the Highlander. <laughs> you know, like any other movie that has uh, I don't know an epic saga with spaceships in it. Oh, it's a rip off of Star Wars. Star Wars, cause, right? Because they right, had spaceships. Right. But my goal would be is like, okay, you got to do one in space with spaceships. How do you do it different? Yeah. I try to look at the di- the uh, different approach to it. Just clowns to me were cheesy and stuff in all these movies I saw, and I saw this movie called Doctor Giggles. Um, I was buying all these dollar DVDs at the pawn shops and. Um, just to watch all these obscure horror movies. And I watched Dr. Giggles and they're using these plastic arms that I see for sell at spirit and they're moving. And I thought, well, if they're using this in a movie and it's out on DVD somewhere, I can make a movie. And that's what got me to start and do doll boy. Yeah. So in, I knew I Dr. could do Giggles, just as good. You actually recognize the props that they were using as props from spirit of Halloween. Yeah. If you, when they, you walk outside his house, his cabin, there's all these like arms and there's like three or four arms and three or four feet. But it's like, if you cut off, you know, you, me or anybody cut off feet, they're not all going to be the same, are they? They're going to look different. Mm-hmm. Everybody's got different feet and all this, but they got like five right hands and five right feet. It's like, come on, you people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's what they had at the time. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't have been in my movie, but you could go and dirty it up and change things and add. Yeah. Dude. That's just, you don't give a give crap. Some, you know, some come design, on. Some detail, you know? Yeah. That's just and I ain't taking away or crapping on anybody's movie, but uh, I always credit that movie for the one that get me in the movie business because yeah. when I watched it, I thought, you know, I can do just as good as this. Yeah. I can make a movie just as good as this. And that's what started me. Mm-hmm. How old were you at the time? Mm, well, now, 37. 37 yep sorry i gotta say it every time yeah <laughs> well, don't that, make any movies on your way through the parking lot well you know because you don't it's like i said about technologies i went and got a job at a tv station thinking it's going to teach me how to use a camera and teach me how to you know and i end up getting in creative services and running creative services for 20 years so i started just doing you know two or three commercials a day and it just taught me to be fast efficient and you know efficient and you know, get things done when you show up to a stupid car lot and they want to do a commercial and they have nothing in mind and you just got to pull something out of your rear end real quick and make it. I mean, that's what it taught me in filmmaking. So, and then by that time I knew I wanted to do it, but I was just waiting and I did a fake trailer for the ground. Remember when Grindhouse come out with Tarantino and um, Rodriguez? Mm-hmm. I did a fake trailer. They had a fake trailer contest and I did one called Circus of the Dead. And so Circus of the Dead started mm-hmm. with the fake trailer from, 2007 i think some of the best movies start off that way look at yeah 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 
fake trailers the way to go. That'll teach you to make movies lickety split. I, I mean, I a fake trailer is, uh, in a way, kind of your what do they call it? The proof. The proof. Or, or proof of concept. Uh huh. But let's say you're not trying to sell something. You're trying to see where you are as a filmmaker. That'll mm-hmm. tell you too. It'll it'll show you uh, your your weaknesses will stand out really quick on what you're doing right and what you're doing wrong. Mm-hmm. I am writing this down. I tell everybody mm-hmm. start off with the fake trailer because you get to f- you're basically filming a mini movie in two minutes. Yeah. I mean, you know, for two minutes. Yeah, because then you still have you know your uh, possible set design, uh, character creation, actors, makeup design. It's just a very very microcosm of the whole film so. well like your next guest is called uh what is it zobo with the hot gun or a uh, hot gun a glue gun, <laughs> gun. <laughs> <Zobo with laughs> a shotgun. Uh, shotgun is a uh, that was um jason eisner and he won that contest at grindhouse with hobo with the shotgun fake trailer which was a brilliant fake trailer no shit and, and then he made the movie and he held a fake trailer contest and i come in the top 10 on that one with my fake trailer uh mr fister huh mm-hmm. So Hobo with the Shotgun, like Rutger Howard, that, that started off as a fake trailer too? Dude, and I'm telling you, is is Hobo with the Shotgun is a pretty good movie, but it that is. Hobo with the Shotgun fake trailer, look it up. It is mm-hmm. might be one of the greatest things ever made in history of life. I don't know why he didn't use the same people in it. He went and got big stars, but I think he should have stayed with those other ones. It's just so perfect. Yeah, then maybe it would have been you know more unknowns, more focused on the story and less focused on like, and, the trailer yeah. voice. And nobody cares. Now, because it's like it, it just kind of falls into obscurity, you know. It's just sad. Yeah, and like you say, you know, when you do something like that, it'll show you where your weaknesses are. Yeah, that's right. If you do that and you ask yourself, "Would I want to want to see this movie?" and if the answer is no, and you can point out this reason or that reason, then you you right away know that those are the things that you got to work on. So you got to get honest, guys. It's like it's like um that um vacation, National Lampoon's Vacation. Is that one girl says, "Well, my dad says I'm a good kisser." You know, it's like, oh, my wife says I'm a great filmmaker. It's like, no, man. It's like, you got to be honest with yourself. I'm a pretty good shooter, but I can get a cinematographer that blows me out of the water. That's what I need. You got to find what your strengths are and then bring in other people to help you out. So in your adult years, uh, is it still just you and Lee or do you have other uh, friends or family that um, are fans of horror with you? Yeah, it's it's when you say friends, they've been around and been such good friends that they're like family now. Um, but yeah, I do. I have people that'll go with me all the way to the top, you know, and, and it's their decisions. You know, I'll say, you know, we're thinking about bringing in this one, you know, as, as we start moving past and some of them get married and have kids and they just can't commit the time anymore. So, you know, I, I keep about always at least 60 to 70 percent of the core, but there's always a new 30 percent coming and new friends and stuff that I'll bring into the fold. Give them a tr- you know, give them a shot. It's basically I'll work with anybody that I respect and get to know and just like them as a person. Okay, but it's people you work with. It's not. How can I say this? You've got there's your crew, meaning your work. You're working with a crew, and then you've got your crew of friends. That's yeah. not necessarily people you yeah. work with. You know, but those I mean? people that come in to work become and <laughs> yeah, yeah, friends and that yeah. Uh, do you participate in Halloween as an adult? No, I still do haunts. I've been doing haunts every year since I was like in third grade. Okay. Nice. So what are, what are your costumes now? Uh, well, I don't, well I, can't, I dress up as a low life fat, uh, indie horror director. <laughs> um, <laughs> you, you can't, you can't, I found it a long time ago. You can't be in a costume whenever some Karen or a mother gets mad and wants to come up there and complain because their kid got yeah, pushed out of the house or something. Or, yeah. Are you managing it? Oh, you're no, you got to like manage. Material. You can't, yeah, you, if you're I managing can't do it, that you anymore. Do yeah. No, you can do like a light costume or face makeup or something like that. But yeah, you got to be, uh, able to you know move 
<laughs> All right, so well, you're doing management now. You're not. Yeah, because it's. I mean, I'm telling you, it's like somebody will say, "Well, my son bought a ticket, and he went into the first part and left, and he didn't go through it. He needs to get his money back." I go, "No, ma'am, we don't do refunds on chickens coming out the yeah. door." You know what I mean? No. So the, dealing that with that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. Get out of here. But uh, I, that's the part you're, about it. I hate. You were scared. It worked. Yeah. Pay your money. He went out the back because he was scared. Well, eh, I guess he could argue that he wasn't scared. That's why he left. But whatever. whatever. Um, anything? Uh, well, you mentioned uh, recurring dreams of you know relatives who have passed. Um, anything scare you in real life as an adult? You know, I was um, when I lived up in Mesquite before I moved out here to West Texas in '98. Um, there was uh, I lived next, kind of on the crossroads of two. Uh, big highway 635 and interstate 30 up in the Dallas Mesquite area and like a restaurant row. And I was pulling out of my apartment one day and a Corvette went up under a diesel and like caught on fire. So I was like the closest one over there. And I went over there trying to help the guy. He was holding onto my arm and the steering wheel went down into his groin and he couldn't get out. And it was under that diesel trailer and it caught on fire. And at the time I had long hair too. And, um, it all caught on fire and all my body hair and stuff. And see, Lee was behind me and he wouldn't let go. And you could hear those firemen and other people telling us to let go. But that guy said, please don't let go. Please don't let go. And, um, but eventually, you know, we all fell and, you know, that thing caught on fire and the guy died and stuff like that. It's like, I think that was probably the most traumatic thing I've ever went through in life. Yeah. Um, and that's real life. You know, that wasn't fake. Yeah. That's why we asked that question. You know, like there's the whole dissection of horror and horrible things and, the interest you but you know that, that, uh, when we were designing this process steve and i uh the one of the things that came up was yeah what about uh you know horrific things that happen in real life because they will change your that can affect you too yeah. yeah and that can, jesus christ man it's like you lived that fucking intro scene at a uh final destination two was it well it's it's there's like i guess the older you get when y'all start reflecting on things and cancer did that a lot to me too you start reflecting yeah. on life um that that i could tell that was definitely one of the points in life that that stuck out that you know changed a lot of things um maybe not take things for granted you know i had a crappy girlfriend at the time that was reason enough to kick her to the curb and Mm. you know and and focus on your dreams and stuff because i didn't know how much longer because you just never know um could definitely be motivational too very much so yeah um well, I mean, the follow-up question there usually is how did that, you know, affect you or how did that change how you approach life? As you say, being motivational can be one of those ways. I think mm-hmm. it would be um, it's the humbleness. That's where the humbleness come from. Is back then I was, you know, uh, in really, really good shape. I did. I was doing martial arts for like 15-something years, and, you know, I, I would beat anybody that looked cross-ways at me or whatever, just have a chip on my shoulder and all that. It's like that taught me to quit taking myself so serious and, you know, be humble and don't, you know what I mean? Just walk with your chest poked out and stuff like that. It, it just, it taught me not to be a douche. Yeah. So, well, you know, going back to what you said from your childhood, your father being more of the macho type yes. and telling you not to be afraid of anything, but uh, I mean, you, not being afraid of that didn't help that guy, you know, there's at all. Yeah. There can be toxic, uh, uh, how can I say this? Lack of fear can be toxic, yeah. But I think, you know, you guys are digging into something deep here. And I, and I think what I would say is, I think me and Bill Oberst talked about this once in private, is I think we're both, we were both figured out that we both got into horror because we're actually scared to death in a sense. Um, 
And that's why we do it is if like haunted houses is you can't be scared of a haunted house. If you work in a haunted house, you're forcing right. yourself to take that fear. And I think it's the horrors. That's what it is too. When I was young, I'd rent faces of death and all this and get off on all that stuff. But now I can't take real death. I don't like it. Don't want to see it. Don't want to just don't want to see it. And, yeah. um, I guess that's what's changed a lot too. But the reason I go towards horror is that I just, I guess I'm afraid of losing loved ones. You know, I'm not afraid of dying per se, but you know, I lost my sister in a really bad car wreck in August of 15 and, um, uh, just haven't gotten over it. You know, you just don't, cause I was always worried. I worked for the news and I was uh, directing the newscast and, and we would cover car wrecks every day, fatalities at this news. And I go, when's it going to be until it's one of my family members. And, uh, you know, something happens and sure enough, something did happen, but it's, I guess in life, I learned, unfortunately too late that, you know, quit living in fear of everything and get out and live a little bit. You know, it's just the thought of worrying about fear and not doing things or taking chances in life is actually a worse death than something that surprised you out of nowhere that you didn't even know was coming. Yeah. Yeah. In a similar vein, um, I had worked in restaurants for a lot of my teens and twenties. And at one point got an opportunity to become a bartender and get trained in, in that position, which uh, I jumped at because I had always, I don't want to say I had a fear of public speaking because that's not really it, but mm-hmm. more, more on one-on-one interpersonal conversations, you know, those awkward pauses and how do you get out of them and how do you avoid them type of thing? And how do you continue, you know, moving a conversation forward and that kind of thing. Um, I had difficulty with that. And I re- I recognized that a bartender as a bartender, you got to be better at that. Yes. <laughs> and I realized that that was like uh, my opportunity to get paid to learn how to do what it is. I wanted to, to know how to do, as a person anyway. So kind of like what you're saying about, you know, forcing yourself to, you know, get into the haunted houses and face that kind of stuff. Similar thing, although not, maybe not quite as serious, <laughs> but looking at this too, is just, it's who wants to live with regret someday when now I know with this cancer, it, it, it the chemo like jacked my heart up and my heart's down to like 20%. So now they got like a defibrillator and stuff in there, you know? And, mm. uh, I can't, if I walk far, I get out of breath, but see, Things before that I took for granted. You know what I mean? It's like I shouldn't have. Don't wait to accomplish all your dreams. Get going on it now and find the right way to get them done. Yeah. Just don't wait. So it sounds like uh, what you love about horror um, has definitely changed over your life, which is fine. That that makes sense, too. You know, early on, it was sort of wacky, crazy shit with humor. And now there's yes. some there's some of that still, but obviously there's other dimensions added to it. <laughs> it's evolved. Yeah. Um, so the next two questions I want to ask are not just about horror. They could be any genre and mm-hmm. across your entire life. And I'll ask the two questions at the same time, because the answer could be the same thing, or it could be two different things. And that way I give you both questions and you can answer them how you wish. Um, First question is, what is your favorite movie? And then the second question is, what movie have you watched more times than any other? Okay. Uh, the movie I've watched more times than any other. Let's go with that one first, because that's just a, that's a pretty simple one. I say simple, but I'm going to say probably Mad Max 2, The Road Warrior. Ah. On that one. Yeah. Good one. 
Best That's what I'm going to say. Now, I mean, there's other movies like I've watched uh, Crossroads with Ralph Macchio, like ass ton of times too. That's what got me into guitars as a kid. Um, mm-hmm. Now, my favorite movie, if I had to just pick one, because that's weird because it kind of depends when you wake up. Let me think about that one too. Usually the way I go with it is what's the first one that comes off the top of your head? I would have to say if it's just one, it would have to be, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre just because what it it's made me the director I am. Mm-hmm. Is there a runner-up that you were thinking of? It'd probably be the Road Warrior or Mad Max too. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. And what is it that you like? I mean, we've talked about Texas Chainsaw. What was it that you liked about Mad Max? You know, I saw that as a. I was underage, and my uncle took me to go see that one at a movie theater, and um, I didn't know what to expect. You know what I mean? I didn't see a preview or nothing. I didn't even see the first Mad Max, and oh, I don't you're know. Just blown away. Yeah, it just it scared me and excited me, and you know the action and all that. I just thought it was the coolest thing. I just wanted to be Mad Max. I just thought it was one of the coolest things I ever seen in life. What scared you about it? Um, the humongous, and especially uh, what's his name, Wes. Uh, I don't remember. What, no way. Who's that? The uh, what is that? Oh, his name's slipping me. Yeah, the there was guy. He's and then um, shit. <sighs> the the guy who was also in Weird Science. Yes, with the fucking mohawk. He's been in my friend's movie too, and I just yeah. Wh- you sure it's not Wes? I think it is. I think it's like something. I think Wes. it is. Yeah. Well, aside from who the who this person is, what what in the movie? What what did they do in the movie that scared you? Well, he's just so crazy looking and, you know, the way he looked at that camera and screamed, it's like, I really believed he was fixing to you know, <laughs> kill me. He will eat somebody. Yeah. He didn't care. And then he had the, the, his boyfriend riding on back on him with like nipple chains or something. It just like <laughs> it freaked me out. <laughs> <laughs> no, I always say, I always kid around and say, it looks like a young Vince Neil. <laughs> Good. Now, Road Warrior is the best one in my it's opinion. It's just, yeah, it's like, like weird. Uh, Who would have thought it would have been? Fury but, Road, like I was thinking, this is going to be a CGI cluster, and I went and saw it, and I was like, oh my god, this is actually great. Yeah, no, it was good. For me, it goes Road Warrior, uh, Fury Road, Thunderdome, and maybe, no. maybe the first one before the Thunderdome. You can't go <laughs> yeah. wrong with the classic. Yeah, the Thunderdome, the kid stuff, I was like, oh, you sons of guns. It was a little stupid, yeah, 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 a, little, yeah. a little corny. What about Crossroads? I just I didn't want to be Ralph Macchio. I wanted to be Steve Vai. I wanted to be Jack Butler, the <laughs> Devil's guitarist. You know, back then I was growing my hair and wanted to be a rock star because I was a big Eddie Van Halen guy. But boy, I was like, gosh! But then it inspired me to go back, and then I started really getting into the blues and stuff like that. And then it made me appreciate Hendrix, and I become a Hendrix impersonator for a while, a fat white Hendrix impersonator mm-hmm. with one percent of the talent. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I can I can relate as a as a, also a guitarist I can relate. <laughs> but yeah, if you see those pictures of me dressed as Hendrix and throwing guitars and smashing them, it's pretty funny. But uh, we had some great shows, mostly charity for kids and stuff like that. But uh, mm. I miss that too. Do you see any common threads about what it is you like in horror? Cannibalism, occult, metaphysical, body horror. Yeah, I kind of like it all. Just I want to just tell me a good story. I don't care. And if you give me something new, kind of like this theme. You know, or Midsommar. I mean, that's cool, too. It's not my style, but I totally dig it. Like the new Joker, totally dig it. You know, mental health, totally dig it. What is it about a good story that you place above those other things? Because you don't sit and realize you're watching a movie. It it captures your Ah. mind, and it takes you on a roller coaster ride. You know, it's like an amusement park for your brain. Yeah. Yeah, I agree 100%. It's like, in some cases, you know, whether it doesn't doesn't matter what uh, genre it is, horror, sci-fi, action... If it's a mm-hmm. good story, you forget you're watching a story. 
and you almost become the antagonist or the protagonist, whichever one you uh, identify with. But you, and, and if they yeah. like, who said that earlier? Like, you know, try to keep somebody's attention for two hours. That's Not, hard to do. It's hard to it do. Is. Especially, Especially in nowadays. This society. Yeah, with these yeah, with, stuff with the rampant ADHD everywhere. Mm-hmm. But um, so if you can do that and. And you know, like like this, then we got I got the wife to watch it too, and we we're just both so blown away. Here it is. We finished it a couple of days ago, and we're still talking about it. In the episode so. five is very jarring. Again, no spoilers. I, I'm we watched it so quick that it we watched it. I think over two days. Mm-hmm. Some of them are only twenty minutes long. Some are like thirty minutes. So mm-hmm. I mean, we watched it pretty quick. So it felt like we we're just watching one big movie. That's how I suggest you try to yeah just finish it on out. It's not that bad, but um. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it it's life changing to me. It's pretty damn awesome. I'm seeing one thing that might be a common thread going back to something you said about the haunted houses. You said that there was a power in scaring people. I'm wondering if there's also some sense of power in seeing a movie that really captures you that way. But also, flip side of that is the best word for it that I can think of is the sublime which is the shrinking of an ego, which is kind of the opposite where like, if you Chris knows, I'm a big fan of Joseph Campbell and it was Joseph Campbell that turned me on to what the word sublime really means. Because to me, for most of my life, I never really understood what the word was supposed to mean. But the example Joseph Campbell gave was he was talking about being in Japan and being in one of these houses where all the rooms are very small and narrow and these small uh, hallways and things like that. And then all of a sudden you come around a corner into this huge garden and you're just so taken back by the beauty in front of you of this expansive big thing. And by comparison, you feel small compared to it. Does yeah, that make sense? Totally. hundred percent. Which like I say, is sort of the opposite of power because it's, you're feeling dwarfed by what you're witnessing. Yes. Tumbling. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, totally. Which also ties in with some of the things that you've said too. So it's kind of funny that you've talked about power, but you've also talked about humility. Mm-hmm. Yes, because that's coming the older I get. You know, when you're young, you want to be the guy, you want to be the man. Now I've realized the only, I think, at least in my heart, I feel is the only way you're ever going to find, you know, perfect happiness is by doing for others and not for yourself. No matter what I accomplish for myself, I mean, eh, it's all cool and all, but doing for other people or paying it forward seems to make me feel better than anything else in the world. Well, I mean, the thing about power is that you have to recognize as long as you're a human being anyway, that the older we get, the less of it we have. That's Um, right. There you go. You know, we're not a robot. We're not Superman or Superwoman there's got to be a point at which you learn to let go gracefully. Otherwise you're not letting go gracefully. Uh, then. Uh, and then you're my dad. We're, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He still got, he dyes, dyes his hair. He wears his black shirts, sleeves rolled up. You know what I mean? It's like, it's the same thing. It's like, he's still living in this. He's still living in the seventies. Do you recall a point in your life where, uh, maybe you saw him doing that and you decided I don't want to do that? Um, no, nah, it was always cool as heck to me. Um, we've been butting heads over political views really bad. Um, you know, we still love each other and still talk and all that, but that's really, you know, over the past four or five years, things have been really torn in half and families and stuff. But seeing, seeing that meanness and spitefulness is, it, it makes me even a better person because I guess I'm good at really learning from what I'm seeing and stuff. So 
it just reminds me to not be that way, you know, and try to just be a good dude. And I'm all for jokes. I'm not sensitive or anything when it comes to that. I think comedy is comedy. You know what I mean? And if you can't, if you can't take it, then don't dish it out. But, uh, with that said is I I just think that, you know, I learned a lot from him and his, he's worked hard and broke his back. Like he told me not to do. And, um, he's paying for it now, you know, with his body and stuff, you know, cutting out on him and stuff like that, giving up on him. And, um, I feel bad about that, but, um, you know, I don't know. He, he's taught me pay attention to surroundings and all this kind of stuff, but I guess he's just never (laughs) listened to his own words. It's like weird. Hmm. Something that you said also reminded me of what we talked about earlier about identifying with a parent and then at a certain point separating from them and saying, okay, that's your identity. This, these are the ways that I identify with you. And these, these are these other ways where I identify as separate from you, which is not a bad thing. It's very normal uh, yeah. to do both. Well, it's like when it comes to my mom is like, um, like I always feel like emotion. I got my emotional manipulating from that. You know, I was like, well, if nobody's going to like it, I guess I'll just go, you know, jump off a cliff. You know, it's like, it's like, I never like realized. Yeah, totally. And she's all like, she'll see me and she hadn't seen me in a while. She'll start crying and hugging me. And I'm not like that. So it's like, you know, that stuff scares you away and stuff. She'll hear this, but she only hears what she wants to hear is like, I, I, that's what I always wish for my parents is they could, you know, and all the older people in my life is just be open-minded and look sometimes and watch and pay attention, quit making your decision just based on the first thing that pops in your head, you know, look mm-hmm. at what somebody else is going through or happening, you know, so that, that's the thing. Um, yeah, this is like a therapy session podcast. I didn't know I get <laughs> on these. See, I get on most of these podcasts. Oh, I did a painted a, a, a clown face on a dong. Oh, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, that's what most of it's about. I didn't know this. I didn't know it would be like, you know, this kind of, cause I would have made a list of things like that and stuff. So it's very, all this stuff you got for me is catching off guard on a Sunday morning. Well, it's probably, <laughs> it is okay. Probably. Oh yeah, yeah it probably is. Yeah. Yeah. Often is usually Chris and I have had conversations before about, you know, that question about what's your favorite movie. And, you know, there are a lot of people who either can't or, or don't want to, or refuse to boil it down to one. Yeah. And, we've talked about, should we rephrase that question? But I really feel like there's some truth that typically the first thing that comes to your mind is the right answer. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes preparing for, there are some people who have really bad anxiety and we, I have no problem giving the list of questions ahead of time if you want uh, to prepare, but if you're, if you're capable of handling it, I do think that answering them um, organically is sometimes the better way to do it if you can. But do y'all think though, like as far as movies, like it depends, I don't know. I, I think it depends more on your mentality or mood in the day, what your favorite movie is than, than maybe anything. Because like I said, I got so many favorite ones that I can't turn. I even right. watched Roadhouse with Patrick Swayze. Is that a great mm-hmm. movie? I mean, yeah. In a so cool kind I have of two way, answers but- to that. So I have two answers to that. One is you're right. It does change over time, but, and I, I guess we could reword the question such to, to point out that we're only asking this moment in time, you know, Uh, if you can answer over your entire lifetime, sure, but it could change tomorrow. Sure. The other answer is to recognize that the people we're talking to are also in the film business. And I do understand that, you don't want to offend anybody because you got to work with them again in the future type of thing. So yeah, no, I'll be honest. They, they should have done right. And I don't, I don't have to talk about it personally. Well, that's yeah. true. 
<laughs> I don't mean you personally, but I mean, I, I, I think there's some hesitation. I could understand if there was some hesitation for that reason. But- well, no, because you know what the, you know what my political answer would have been? It's like, my my favorite movie is the movie I haven't made yet, my next movie. You know, that, that would be the, <laughs> good answer. It's going to be Cowboys from Hell. It's scripted, you know, it's baloney stuff. But yeah, the honest one, I would just say, because I would say Star Wars, but it's just been... In light of what the, all the fanboys and everybody going crazy now, it's like it's kind of pissed me off on the movie, and I just don't even want to think about it sometimes anymore because of all the fighting and stuff. It just gets old. So, are you saying that Star Wars would have been your your honest answer? No, it would have been my honest answer <laughs> up until thirty three or thirty two. Yeah. Oh. Uh, all right. So, for you, what makes you happy about horror is a good story. Uh, and mm-hmm. underscoring underli- underlining that is something maybe having to do with power and humility and maybe relationships with the uh, family members or, and, or your friendly, maybe uh-huh. all good stuff, all interesting stuff. I guess one last question, uh, considering uh-huh. the theme of the, que- the theme of the podcast, is there anything that you know of that's relevant that we haven't asked about or haven't talked about? I think that where I was talking about, um, how I feel like the horror community is just really good people is I think people even need to just be nice to one another. Even if you're in your own family, it's like somewhere we just lost being polite and respectful to other people because we want our own personal gain. So, I mean, that's, that's like, I see cinema going there. It's showing a lot of that with things, everything's angry and stuff now, you know, and that's probably wise because it's where the world's leading us. But I just wish we were all kinder to one another. Yeah. I think that's got to start at home. You know, yeah, you can't agree. You got to teach that to your kids and, or if you can, cause to be honest, not everybody's going to agree with that or our grandbabies yeah. or grandbabies, whatever generation, the philosophy of don't be a dick. Yes. There you go. It's, it's easy to understand. Ain't it? Well, I think it's more than just don't be a dick. It's to actively think about other people, because if you don't, actively think about other people and you just say, well, I don't want to be a dick, but you're not bothering to think about other people right, or what they right. think or want or need, then, then you probably are being a dick and you just don't know it. Don't um, know it. And that's a lot of the problem is people, you know, I'm a good person. I'm this, I'm a great person. I do this. But and you're I not do thinking that, about anybody else. Then, you're not right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, before we wrap up, do you want to pitch whatever you want to pitch on the way out? Well, we're going to, you can watch Circus of the Dead anywhere. I think it's like yep. on every platform. It's on Tubi for free, Prime for free. And it is added keep an eye out for, yeah, Cowboys from Hell. Watch past credits on, uh, I like to hide bonus scenes after credits. So look out for that. Um, okay. But Cowboys from Hell, that'll be coming next. Hopefully we get to get out. And I'm looking forward to maybe going out filming and putting my phone, giving it to my producer for like a month or something and <laughs> staying away from things. I'm actually looking forward to that, that being off the grid a little bit. Uh, yeah. Well, thank you very much for your time, Billy. Yeah, yeah thank you guys. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. That was free and free therapy. Right? There you go. <laughs> yeah. Actually, and not really. We'll send you a bill. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and I'll make sure I send a check, lickety split. Uh-huh. Yep, yep. It's in the mail. <laughs> thank you to anybody out there listening. Uh, again, please do come visit us at horrormakesushappy.com. We've got a list of the people we'd like to interview. Uh, if you can help us get in touch with any of those people, let us know. If you'd like to have somebody added to the list, let us know. Um, hit us up on social media. Let us know how we're doing. Horrormakesushappy.com. Mm-hmm.